Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Miller. Thanks for tuning in. I know it's been a while since we've done one of these, and I'm so glad uh, to be back and to be able to talk with you guys a little bit and give you an update on what's going on in my life and a little bit of an update here on the podcast. Uh, We've had a summer of ups and downs, I would say, in our family. Uh, There's been some wonderful things that we were able to do. We took a family vacation to Switzerland, and you guys know that I love being outdoors and hiking, which we were able to do a lot of. And it was, of course, spectacular. It was wonderful to spend time with my family and even to connect with uh, some listeners of the podcast, uh, some orthodontists, uh, Luis and Frederick, uh, and to be able to spend an evening with them. And uh, just we had a great time. It, w- it was a wonderful trip and a wonderful thing for our family. My kids this year are starting uh, fifth and eighth grade. It's hard to believe that next year I will have a middle schooler and a high schooler. Uh, so I'd say they're they're doing pretty good and, and getting older all the time. We've also had a summer, of course, of orthodontics. Uh, things have been going well in our office. I would say that we've had a very good year uh, so far. And I would say in particular, our team, our team is doing really well. I would say I'm very happy with the people we have and the positions that we have them in. Uh, More so, I think that at any time in in owning my practice, I really feel satisfied and happy with the great group of people that we have. And I feel like we come to work and we we don't have to work as hard. Things seem to be going smoothly and everyone knows what their job is. Everyone knows how to do it. Uh, we've really worked through, I think, a lot of the, the kinks in our systems and our protocols. And we have people with great attitudes. Uh, it's, it's really a great time in our office. And I'm having a wonderful time at work. Part of the reason I think things are going so well is from the things that I've learned from this podcast. And, uh, you know, I've always said that you know, the person who benefits the most from from this whole project is is myself. I've certainly learned so much from the wonderful guests that we've had on the show over time. And I take those things and I bring them back and I try to apply them. And, uh, you know, I can see the the results of that. I can see things that we're doing that I know that I've learned uh, from, from the guests that we've had here on the podcast over the last few years. So, you know, those are the ups. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, unfortunately, I have some bad news uh, to share as well. Uh, we, we received word over the summer that my wife has cancer. And I know that many of you have uh, had this uh, in your life and people that you love and care about, family members, friends that have gone through, uh, through this situation. And uh, cancer is uh, a, a difficult diagnosis. Uh, you know, my wife has a, a fairly serious uh, type of cancer. So, you know, this has been obviously an, an emotional challenge for our family. Uh, we've had to adjust some of our routines. Uh, certainly, there's a lot of time involved in, in going to treatments and uh, doctor's appointments. And then, of course, the, the treatments themselves are, are difficult. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot to navigate here, I would say physically and emotionally and and as a family. Uh, So it's been, you know, a difficult, 
difficult time for our family, uh, to say the least. Uh, you know, that being said, I think we're in good hands. We have uh, excellent doctors. I think we have uh, a plan that we're, we're on the right plan, and uh, we're executing that uh, and certainly hoping for the best. And, uh, you know, so uh, all this to say, I suppose, that the Elevate Orthodox podcast is, is going to be on the back burner for now. I think it's going to be on a long-term hiatus. Uh, I hope to be able to bring you guys some episodes in the future. But for now, I think we're going to take a break and, and focus on, uh, you know, the things here at home that, uh, you know, are the most important things to us. Uh, to those who have, have already reached out to me, some of you have found out about this. Uh, I want to thank you. I've, I've received some very nice messages and uh, concerned texts uh, from people. And, and, and to all of the listeners of, of the podcast, I really want to thank you for, for supporting the podcast, uh, for tuning in and listening. Uh, your feedback, the positive uh, feedback I've been able to receive from you uh, has really been what makes this worthwhile. Uh, you know, I, 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 we've had sponsors on the podcast in the past to offset some of the costs, but, you know, this was never a money-making endeavor for me. Uh, you know, I have no aspirations of becoming a world-famous uh, orthodontist, uh, but it's been wonderful to know that not only have I been able to benefit from the podcast uh, to learn things that have helped me in my life and, and in my practice, but that also I've been able to share that with you and to the extent that I've been able to make a difference in your life and in your practice, uh, that's been really meaningful to me. And, and I just want to thank you so much uh, for your support. Now, I don't want to leave you uh, without uh, delivering some content. Uh, you know, you tune into the podcast to uh, learn and to, uh, to get some you know, new perspectives. And so today, uh, I thought we'd share uh, an interview that I did with uh, Dr. Kyle Fagala. Uh, this was done recently on Sunday night in the Digital Orthodontists Live Facebook group. And uh, it was a great experience. Uh, it was, it's a fun, it's a relaxed interview. And it was neat to be on the receiving end and to have Kyle ask me questions and to do my best to, uh, to deliver some value. You know, I've never considered myself a, a, a guru or, or a whiz, but I certainly have my own uh, thoughts and opinions. And, uh, you know, I hope that uh, as you listen to me being interviewed, that you'll be able to learn a little bit more about me and a little bit uh, more about my personality. And uh, that hopefully something that I say uh, in, in the hour plus interview that you're going to listen to, uh, that you'll learn something that, uh, and that you'll uh, walk away from today's episode with some uh, things that uh, are meaningful and, and valuable to you. Kyle did a fantastic job. Uh, so, you know, I know you're going to really enjoy uh, listening to this interview. Uh, I, it was done late at night and I tried to keep the energy up. So I feel like I'm talking fast in the interview. Uh, I try to keep my energy high, but I hope that you like it uh, nevertheless. So I'm going to sign off for now. If there's anything that you need, feel free to reach out. You know where to find me and we'll go ahead and listen to this interview. Good evening, happy Sunday, and welcome to another episode of the Digital Orthodontist Live. I am your host, Dr. Kyle Fagala. Let me go ahead and bring Lance on the show. Lance, if you'll go ahead and request to join, I'm going to read Lance. It's got to be the shortest bio I've ever seen. So Lance, I'm sure there's much more we could say about you, but um, Dr. Lance Miller is host of the well-known Elevate Orthodontics podcast. He lives in Keene, New Hampshire, where he's the owner of a three-location single-doctor orthodontic practice. He attended dental school at UNC Chapel Hill, and he completed his orthodontic specialty training at St. Louis University, also lovingly known as SLU. Um, if you listen to his podcast, you know that Lance has many hobbies, 
including hiking, skiing, playing the piano, cheering for UNC and BYU sports. So he is married. Uh, he has two children. He loves to travel with his family. So how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm excited to be on with you here. This is a big uh, honor for me. I'm a big fan of uh, what you're doing here with uh, Digital Orthodontist Live. You know, I, I did this with the podcast, um, but you've upped the, the ante here by putting video. We have to, like, you know, look good, and uh, it's live, too. So, you know, I think, I think yeah. you're really taking this whole thing to the next level here. Uh, that's, that's sweet of you to say. I, I think it actually just adds in the uh, opportunity for things to go wrong. So, uh, so there is that. You have the opportunity we'll to edit, edit people. So if you say I do. stupid, we're stuck with it. So uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to finish my thought on uh, Jennifer Eisenhuth. She uh, put a couple TMAs. She can't figure out her pan machine without an assistant. That's hysterical. Courtney says she can't do that either. Uh, I'm going to go with both of you and say I don't know that I could uh, either. Lance, you strike me as someone that could figure out your pan machine. I don't know. Maybe. I don't think I've taken a pan in like a decade. I, I, okay. I don't know. I, I read that wrong. Okay. Um, so uh, how are you doing, man? Uh, you been okay? Everything good? Doing all right. Doing all right. We're, uh, we're probably at uh, you know, peak leaf season here uh, in New Hampshire. So this weekend and next is all of the, the leaf peepers coming into town. Um, and it's, it's, it's really beautiful. It's a great time to come up. If you're ever thinking of headed this way, this is, this is the time of year you want to come out. Leaf peepers. That's a new one for me. I, I want to, I'll bring it. I know. Down, and as I said, the word leaf peepers, I noticed that we uh, dropped, uh, you know, into single digits of watchers. So maybe we should move <laughs> on to other topics. You, you can't watch the number. Um, I actually visited your office. This was last November, I think, um, for the NISO meeting. And it was gorgeous. You can see the leaves in that photo. Um, I actually stopped outside your office. I kept peeking through the windows. You were, you were not there. Um, I'm, I'm thankful I didn't get the cops called on me. Um, but yeah, uh, next time we'll have to be in town. I was, I was yeah. at the NISO meeting, and so I uh, couldn't sure. show you around. But uh, we'll have sure, you up sure, here sure. another time. Sure, absolutely. So I want to get into a little bit of current events. I like to talk about that when it's applicable, when it makes sense. And so one thing that came up uh, this week, and I know you're really into the financial world and, and that sort of thing, more than I am, is, uh, is the Smile Direct Club IPO. Uh, so there's been a lot of discussion about that in the Facebook groups, and I just want to get your take on it. And uh, just to be clear on the front end, don't accept any of this as financial advice, <laughs> nor, nor, nor as criticism of any particular uh, company. Just we're having yeah. a commentary. Um, so know, go ahead. No, I think this is something that Orthodox have, have watched and are watching very closely. Uh, it's interesting to see a company like this go public and to see the reaction. You know, the piece that was published this week, I think was received by orthodontists with a lot of excitement. Um, I, I, I'm somewhat more mellow about it. You know, it was obviously written by a group that had admitted uh, taking a short position in the stock. So, you know, this is, this is kind of the opposite of pump and dump, you know, where you pump up a stock and then you sell it. This is like, they've taken the short position, they want it to go down. Uh, so, you know, this isn't reporting, right? This isn't like, uh, you know, necessarily, they're not out for factual purposes. Uh, and, you know, even in that article, which I thought was well written and, and did do a good job of highlighting some of the concerns that, that are out there, uh, you know, they, they even mentioned that, you know, there are other companies that could uh, could eventually move into the space. And, and so, you know, I think as as orthodontists, um, we it, it troubles me that our kind of opinion of our profession or perhaps our, our mood for the day would be influenced by the rising and falling of, of the stock of a publicly traded company. Uh, I'd like to think of uh, that we're in a little bit more control of our lives and that we have, um, you know, a little bit more influence over, over what goes on in our own sphere. So, I, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not too much into it, but certainly, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting and compelling storyline. Yeah, sure. 
Yeah, so I, I don't know where I'm at on honestly. I, I follow zero percent uh, stocks and all that. So I see people if a line stock goes up or down, uh, it's shared. If this stock, I guess, now goes up or down, it's shared. Um, I don't know that you can really strike a huge commentary from it. I mean, this article it was suggesting two dollars in one year. Um, you know, they were shooting for what twenty three dollars. It, it closed the first day at sixteen six. Pretty yeah. rough. It's it's it's. It was, I mean, it was a, it was a, now. It was a stinker of an IPO for sure. Yeah, yeah. So. We'll see. You have a one-year prediction. You don't want to make a prediction, do you? I, I don't. I don't own any individual stocks, and I'm not going to yeah. start with uh, Smile Drug Club. Yeah. Anyone who's followed you, that, that doesn't surprise them, I'm sure. So, uh, and nor yeah. do I. I own no individual stocks. So, uh, yeah. I guess I guess we're the wrong people to talk about that. So, interested to see what anyone else thinks about that. But uh, let's jump into questions about you, since again, you don't own that stock. Um, we've known we've known each other for a few years. We've had a few uh, meals together. We were in the original, or what I call the original, Facebook oh, yeah. study group, uh, Orthodontic Exchange. Really great years there, I think. Um, but if anyone out there doesn't know you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, you know, I I love um, I love being an orthodontist. You know, we're here in New England, uh, which is a, kind of a great place to be. We're about two hours from Boston, uh, but yet we're in this very rural setting. Uh, the town that we're in is really perfect for us. Uh, we love it. My background, uh, you know, I was born in Canada. I've lived in Australia and Germany, North Carolina, um, Los Angeles, St. Louis. So we've lived all over, and this uh, place really uh, works for us and, and fits our family really well. Um, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm passionate about being an orthodontist. I, I wanted to find a job that I would be excited to come to work every day for 30 or 40 years. Uh, I, you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't have any plans to like retire early or, you know, the, you know, financial independence, retire early. I like the financial independence, but perhaps not the retire early. So, uh, for me, you know, I, um, you know, I, I think we've, we've talked a little about some of, the, some of the hobbies, things I'm involved in. I have a, um, I wouldn't say a short attention span because when I'm into something, I can really go down that rabbit hole pretty deep. But I have a lot of things that interest me and I like to stay busy and I like to be learning. Um, that's, that's kind of my personality. Yeah, I'm very similar in that way. I've always got something new to, to be working on and uh, it's just the way my brain works. I'm happiest when I've got a few different uh, pans on the fire, I guess. Um, so, Absolutely. Um, so we already talked about Keen a little bit. I showed the photo of me and Keen, um, but I want to talk about your practice. And I will say I, I'd never been to New England until last fall. And I really want to get back as soon as I can. I actually went up to Boston uh, in, in the summer. We went over to Cape Cod. It was amazing. Oh, I yeah, that's great. At your football team, the New England Patriots, who uh, y'all went five and zero today. My son keeps up with the uh, the records, and so he judges right. teams. He's eight, was... so he's, I think he's trying to decide who's going to cheer for. So I think that New England is in the running because you're winning lots of games. There you go. Um, but uh, we went to Gillette Stadium to see the Stones. It was amazing. So that uh, is good. And I know everyone it's collect is collectively groaning out there because you're a Patriots fan, but it's okay. I mean, you know, you you I guess you were a fan of them during the time where they weren't that great, right? Well, no, see, I'm not really. I mean, I I I I, I never really cheered for an NFL team. I was always okay. a college college basketball first, college football second. Uh, I moved here in 2011, and of course, it's been pretty great. And uh, you know, we've kind of gotten into the, the excitement of things. But uh, you know, I, I'd say my my original love is uh, North Carolina basketball. Okay, not not a hard team to cheer for either. Um, I'm, no, I'm I'm seeing a, a connecting line there. Yeah, uh, I, so, I come by that honestly, though. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so tell me about uh, your practice. How long you been open? How many team members? All that sort of thing. Yeah, we have three locations, uh, two in New Hampshire, one in Vermont. Uh, we're kind of right on the border of Vermont and New Hampshire. Uh, we uh, are, I think, a, a pretty um, 
traditional orthodontic practice in the sense that we have one doctor, we have you know a couple of receptionists, we have about a half dozen clinical assistants working on a given day, um, some fin some financial people, and a treatment coordinator. And uh, you know, I think we do pretty middle of the not middle of the road in terms of quality, but in terms of philosophy, right? I don't think we're 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 not crazy, not extraction, but I don't think we're you know super oriented to extraction. We do a lot of herbs appliances. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, twin brackets. Um, and, and so I think our, our mechanics and, and the way that we practice, I think is, uh, I, I think middle of the road in terms of the, you know, I feel comfortably, uh, that I'm not out on the fringes of, of, uh, orthodontic treatment. Uh, we like to implement technology into our practice. Uh, we certainly have, you know, digital x-rays. We have, uh, you know, scanners has become a big part of our practice with uh, 3D printing. Uh, you know, I'm not a comb beam guy yet. Um, I'm not an in-office 3D printer guy, and, and I'm really trying to not become one. Um, that doesn't really appeal to me. Um, but, I, you know, our practice environment, I think, like a lot of offices, uh, it's really focused on the experience. You know, I want our patients to come here. I want them to feel like they're having a, an individualized experience, that we're connecting with them, that we're understanding what their needs are, uh, that we're making a difference in our community, and that it's a fun place to work. Uh, for me, I guess, primarily, and also for my team, I mean, I want to come to work every day and not be miserable and, and enjoy it. So that, that, those are our focuses, um, you know, to, to, to do good work and, and to have fun. Um, you know, we're, we're somewhat um, uh, focused on, uh, you know, reaching our goals as well. Certainly we want, you know, we, we, we tried to, to grow our practice and to grow our reach. Uh, that's been a part of, of what we've been doing over the last couple of years. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, uh, I think, I think what, I think you would see in our practice, what you'd see in a lot of other orthodontic offices in the country. Yeah. So I, I think I fall almost into this exact same category, uh, where I'm, I'm more focused on, and a lot of things I think we'll talk about, about lifestyle and, and the fact that my practice fits sort of the life that I want to lead and the hobbies that I have otherwise and my family. Um, but I'm not like breaking any boundaries. I, I tried that a little bit. I tried to be like an early adopter on a couple of things and I got burned with it. And so now I'm mostly focused. I'm a twin practice that does mostly non-extraction, but I'm not, you know, dogmatic and uh, I, I don't have a cone beam. And, you know, so I, you know, I, I speak some for 3M and uh, they, they asked me to speak on clinical. And I'm like, I don't know what I'd speak about. Like, I mean, I feel like I'm doing <laughs> orthodontics like 95% of everyone else. So nothing, yeah, nothing it's, exciting there. Like, I love the Herbst appliance. You know, I think it's yeah. great. We, we use it a ton. Um, but I think because it's Me like too. out of patent or whatever, no one, you know, no one company makes it, you know, no one talks about it. If it was some yeah. hot new, if, if the herbs was invented by a company today, it would be <laughs> out of this world and the advertising would be insane for yeah. the herbs appliance. But, you know, no one's got a corner on that market. So, we, you know, you don't hear about it as much as some of the other, you know, uh, appliances out there. Well, maybe you and I need to hit the road and talk about the herbs. Uh, so we'll, we'll yeah, look at yeah, that. If, right. if any company wants to send us out to speak about the herbs, we, we've got it. Yeah, I also love that appliance. Um, so uh, I, I, I want to do this for Jonathan Nicosesis. I don't see him logged in, but it's okay. He'll watch it later. Um, something, you know, how big is Keene? Keene, New Hampshire. 25,000 people in Keene. Not, not, not a huge town at all. No. Nope. But you made the national news for yes. a Vietnamese restaurant. See if you can see Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So that's right. Growing up, we, I never had pho at all. I never mm -hmm. saw pho until I moved to Memphis, to be honest. It's a Vietnamese soup. It's really delicious. It's delicious. Um, I'm going to pronounce it for the purposes of this conversation as pho, like most oh, people. Oh, okay. 
So it's faux keen great. Okay. Faux keen great, yeah. So faux keen great was uh, pretty controversial. You know, we live in a small town, as you mentioned. So like in the newspaper, we literally get uh, articles about like cats being rescued out of trees. That was a real article. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, so you can imagine that this was like a real, a real juicy, uh, you know, discussion in our town, uh, whether this was appropriate and they could put this sign up. And, um, I, I, you know, I'm glad that they were able to do it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's fun. It's fun that we got so much attention here in Keene for that. Uh, the, our previous uh, national attention was for uh, pumpkin festival riots. This is <laughs> five or six years ago uh, when okay. this, the kids at the college here uh, they, they, they hosted a, a huge weekend, uh, drinking extravaganza to coincide with, uh, our, our wonderful town, uh, pumpkin festival and it ended in disaster and there was like riot police and, uh, the whole thing got canceled. So, uh, that was unfortunate. That was our, that was our previous, uh, national news, uh, item. Well, thank the Lord. This has moved up on the, uh, the Google, right. Google search results. So have you eaten at, uh, Fokine Great? I have, I have. Uh, when I went, they were just opened. Ah, they, they were, they were, they were, they were working on. It. I think, I think they need a little. I mean, perhaps by now, you know, I, I went, I went in the first week or two. So I'm, I'm hoping that they continue to work on their recipe a little bit. So maybe not poking great, maybe poking mediocre or slightly above average or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, okay. there was right. room for improvement when I went. Fair enough. We have an hour and I just spent five minutes on that. So I appreciate <laughs> you for that. Thank you, Jonathan Nicodesis, for that. Um, so uh, I guess here's a question about your practice. Is there anything you would have done differently? And I mean, did you start it from scratch? Did you purchase a practice? Like how many years have you been at it? And in that sense, yeah. you know, what are some things you look back and you say, God, what was I doing? Like, why didn't I do that differently? Or do you feel pretty good about all that? So I graduated in 2010. I worked as an associate for a year, and then I bought this office with all three locations. It was run by a husband and wife orthodontist, and they um, kind of tag teamed and, and, and worked the different offices. Um, so I bought it all in one shot. It was a, it was a big practice with a big purchase price, uh, kind of in a, you know, in a more remote area. Uh, it has worked out wonderfully for me. I feel truly lucky that I was able to have such a great relationship with the senior doctor who I continue to be extremely close with. And, uh, which seems, I guess, somewhat unusual in these days. Um, so, you know, in that respect, it worked out extremely well for me. Uh, certainly we have streamlined and improved a lot of the things in the practice. I bought a very good practice. It was definitely not a fixer upper. Nevertheless, we were able to kind of bring some efficiencies in, uh, reduce a little bit amount, the amount of time that we're working and, and actually, you know, increase the size of the practice as well. So, uh, in terms of things I would do differently, um, you know, I don't know. It's, 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 it's hard to know. You know, at what point along the step did you make uh, a mistake that um, that you that you learned from versus one that you wish you would have never made? Um, you know, it, it, you know where I am today is, is obviously a product of all of these things. You know, when I got out of residency, and while I was in residency for sure, I think I, I felt a lot of um, a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, and uh, I, I would say like it it all worked out pretty well, and I feel good about that. And and so, but again, I can't tell. You know, was 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 it that stress? Was it that fear maybe that was motivating me to, to get to this point? Or, you know, could I maybe chill that a little bit? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not in my nature to just chill out, but <laughs> it, it, it does seem that things that always seem like a huge deal in hindsight seem like a very small deal. And in fact, uh, it helped, you know, in, in more ways than it actually hurt, I think, in yeah. hindsight. So, but there's many of those with anyone who starts a practice or who builds a practice up, there's so many moments you look back on it and you're like, man, that wasn't that big of a deal. 
Uh, or maybe there are things where like, man, I really should have done something differently. Um, sure. Don't, right, buy, so don't, a, don't buy used sterilizers. There's one. Okay. Uh, don't buy I used bought some, machine. I bought, yeah, use x-rays, use sterilizers. Be careful with some of these big purchases when they're used. You know, you get a good deal, but then you're repairing it. And, you know, as soon as it fails once, then it's out of service. And then it's, it starts this whole cycle. So, you know, I had a couple of used sterilizers that were kind of a, a disaster. Um, yeah. 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 In the grand scheme, I think you're going to be okay. You know, used sterilizers. I think so. Yeah, my, my used x-ray had some issues, but it made it for six years, so I'll take oh, it. Oh, that's, so, that's better than yeah. me. Yeah, it's not so bad. But I uh, had a couple of follow-up questions real quickly about the Herps. Uh, what's, and just kind of briefly, what's your Herps design, if you don't mind sharing? So we use a, a pretty standard Herps design. Uh, we order it from Specialty Appliances. Uh, it's their removed occlusal crown. So it's not a band, it's a crown, but the entire occlusal surface has been removed for a little bit of extra rigidity. Uh, you know, uh, those are on the upper sixes. Uh, an expander if needed, although that's probably uh, only 10% or 20% of cases where we're doing it. Uh, and then the lower arch is, is a lower, same thing on the sixes, cantilever arms, um, all made by specialty off a digital scan from an iTero scanner. Um, I think they're easy appliances to deliver. I think they are robust. I, I um, don't like some other unnamed class two correctors. Uh, that I feel like are, are fragile and doctor time intensive. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of the Herbst um, and, and, and they just work. So um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, same for me. Uh, another question about why you use that over the twin block. I, I'll answer before you do. I've never used the twin block. Um, it seems like a lot of doctor time, but what's what's your thoughts? Same, yeah, I don't, I don't have a lot of experience. And for me, one of the appeals of, uh, of, of the Herbst is that it's uh, a, a non-compliance uh, fixed class two corrector. Yeah, I like the set it and forget it nature of it. So um, let's shift on into this. Uh, we'll talk about the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. Uh, hugely popular. I still have people come and talk to me about the interview I did with you, which has been maybe a couple years now. But uh, yeah. you, you started the podcast, it seems like, years and years ago. It was January of 2017. It's really not yeah. that far ago or that long ago, but it, it seems like it. Um, does anyone remember who the first guest was? Anyone? 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 <laughs> um, it was Neil Kravitz. Uh, you remember that, right? Uh, that's right. Yes. It was my last guess, uh, ironically, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it's obviously been hugely influential, I think, in our profession. I think it's helped, at least for me, become aware of some people that I wasn't otherwise aware of and to spend some time with people that I was aware of and, and really uh, be inspired and learn. And I'm sure you've learned a lot, too. Um, but uh, let's see. What was, I guess, the primary impetus for starting it? When did you decide, like, I think this is what orthodontics need and I want to do it? <laughs> so, I mean, I like podcasts. Um, actually, I, I feel, uh, I, I think especially in, at the time I started, I was really into podcasts. Um, and uh, I, I wanted an orthodontic podcast. I, I listened to business podcasts. I listened to dental podcasts. Um, you know, there, there were a lot of ones out there. And I, and I was basically waiting for someone to start an orthodontic podcast because that would just be the best. Um, something about that format, I think there's something, there's a, there's an intimacy that comes with the kind of unscripted nature of a, of a podcast and being right in someone's earbuds. Um, I, I love it. I love it. I think, I think it's a great medium. Uh, perhaps it's getting, we've, we've maybe hit peak podcast or, or past peak perhaps in 2019, but, uh, in general, I think it's, it's a fabulous thing. So no one did it. And so I eventually said, okay, you know, just like anyone, I don't love how my voice sounds, um, you know, recorded or anything like that. But I, you know, and, and I was like, who am I to do this in some ways? But, 
you know, on the other hand, I just went for it. Uh, I tried to yeah. launch it as quickly as I could. I did all the work for the first four episodes in like two weeks because um, I felt that if I took a long time to do it, I would talk myself out of it. So I launched it and uh, then it was off to the races. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I will say you said something about not liking your voice. I think you have a great podcast voice. I think um, <laughs> any, anyone who's listened to it, I think you're as much a part as why that was successful as the guests. Um, very knowledgeable. And I, I think very um, moderate's the wrong word, but like uh, in, in a good sense, like it's you're, you're a calming presence uh, in, in that environment. It reminds me of sort of like interviewers from from yesteryear, like your sort of classical news interviewer. Uh, now, you know, everyone has to be very bombastic and opinionated and kind of goofy, but um, it's yeah. really, you're, re you're really good at it. You have a talent for it. Um, you've done, at, you. this, at the time of this recording, you've done 68 episodes, 68, yeah. it's crazy. This is 12 for me, 68. Um, yeah. do, you mind, do you mind sharing, and, and I don't want you to hurt any feelings here, but what are your favorite interviews that come to mind? Some, some of your favorites, perhaps. Yeah, that's kind of like uh, picking your favorite child. Um, yeah. You know, we've had so many great ones. You know, uh, I'll, I'll just throw out a few that are just immediately popping into my head. I really loved my interview with Alfred Jackson. If you go back and listen to him, yeah. he's Al. Um, he's such a great guy, and just the sincerity in that interview was was fabulous. It was an honor for me to have uh, Jim Dolly, the white coat investor, uh, on the podcast. Um, he he did a great job, and he was just a pro. You know, someone who just knew how to do it, and and was great with his answers. And then maybe my favorite one. Um, was a is, is an oral surgeon I had in town. If you yeah. haven't listened to this episode, go listen to uh, Len Weldon. I don't know what number it is, uh, but Len Weldon is uh, an oral surgeon who has now retired. Uh, he, he practiced here in Keene. And you'll learn more in that interview about how to treat patients and just people in general um, in, in a way that will that will make you happy, that will uh, kind of humanize your experience as a doctor and, and just make you a better person. It, it's a fabulous interview. Yeah, he was a special guy. I do recall that interview and I could tell that you, you just tell when something's going well. And I, I guess he was like a mentor to you in, in, many, in many ways. Absolutely. That was a special one for sure. So, uh, so you've interviewed a, a really a good cross section of our profession. You've interviewed uh, doctors and consultants and people outside of our profession. The Jim Dolly one was great. Uh, is it Jim or John? Jim. James. Jim. Jim. Yep. James. We'll go with Jim. Um, and so I guess as you've interviewed 68 different people, uh, are there any consistent themes or concepts that, ha that have continued to come up again and again with guests? Yeah, I, I would say I'm, yeah, I'm actually uh, going to be giving a, a little lecture uh, at the AO uh, a little bit about some of the lessons learned from the podcast. So this has been on my mind a little bit. Um, you know, very briefly, I will say that, uh, you know, that, that, the orthodontists, the people in our profession are kind. Uh, they, they want to uh, do things the right way and treat people the right way. And, you know, I think that when we, when we, uh, when we try to do the right thing the right way, I think that, it, that we are in a profession where that really pays off. And I don't think that's yeah. true for necessarily everyone in the world. But in our profession, if you treat people the right way and you try to do things properly and do your best work, you will be rewarded just wildly. And, and yeah. uh, we're so fortunate in that regard. And the other thing I think is that, um, you know, a lot of people I think are, are held back by their own ways of thinking. And so as you start to kind of listen to the podcast and hear some of the, some of the challenges or some of the, maybe the self-limiting thoughts that people have had and how they've been able to overcome those to me, I, I love hearing those stories. And I love realizing that, uh, you know, 
if, if someone else has done it, I can do it too. And um, I, I'm where they were maybe five years ago. And that means I can be where they are in five years or in two years because I now have a little bit of a head start. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's to me, that's what I've learned in, in doing, you know, 11 of these so far is mindset seems to be the thing that comes up most often among really successful doctors is they have a, a more open mindset and a more forgiving mindset. Um, yeah, it seems. And so I guess, are there any other like important things that you've learned that you've applied to your practice from doing the, from doing the podcast? Oh, oh so much. And you know, <laughs> the, the benefit of a podcast, what you have to realize is imagine if you like take the list of people that I've had on my podcast and think, what if I could call these people up and ask them whatever question I wanted for an hour? And you would, you mean, how much you would benefit from that personally? I mean, that's basically yeah. what I've been able to do. And so, yeah. a lot of the questions that I ask on the podcast are things that, like, I'm struggling with in my practice, or that I want to know more about, or that I want to implement. And then I get, and then I get the added bonus of having then a, a relationship with that person after the podcast yeah. is over. And so, when I say, "Oh, you talked about how you, you know uh, Dan Bills, you talked about how you set this up with your recall system, and you did this, and and you had yeah. this thing," can. I have a question now. I'm trying to implement it. And, and how does this work? And, 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 there's a, and I can get a little bit of follow-up and a little bit of help with that. So, no, I mean, I, of anyone who's benefited from my podcast, it's, it's, been, it's been me the most because I've had the most to learn. And, uh, you know, I, I've just soaked in all that knowledge and applied it as much as I can in my practice. For sure. Yeah, that's the, the relationship part of this has been really special. I got to one that comes to mind is Chris Benson and interviewing him and now feeling like I have a friendship with him from doing that interview. Yeah. Uh, we were yeah. both ex exhausted that night. I think he would have rather slept, but it was a great interview and it was really yeah, great. Good, great, get, get a, great guy. A, my Chris, Chris, father. Uh, re Chris represented me when I bought my practice oh, there and you go. I've been oh. in basically semi-constant contact with him ever since. Uh, he's one of my favorite guys in orthodox. Yeah. Well, I trust him because he has red hair. So there you go. That's I'm right. Um, I wanted to say before we get into our next section, I am drinking from not a mug, which is my comfortable spot, but from a, what do you call it? It's a tumbler, I guess, sort of kind of. Yeah. Um, and it is a, a breast cancer uh, research uh, tumbler. And I'm wearing a little pink tonight. And so, uh, yeah, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. If you're not doing something in your practice, maybe try and do that. We, we keep it pretty simple. If people get pink ties, we donate 10 bucks and we give that money at the end of the month to Su uh, Susan G. Komen, a local chapter of that. And uh, yeah, so uh, breast cancer has affected idea. a lot of us. And uh, yeah. So just some awareness for that. Uh, so let's shift on into investments. We, we're going to talk about financial investments and practice investments. Uh, you know, one thing I always notice in, in your podcast, I love your little editorial at the beginning. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what percentage of those have to do with financial matters, but it's, it's probably the highest fair percentage. Amount. Yeah, yeah, which is great because it's what you know and you're good at it. Um, I think you're a savant when it comes to financial matters. And you might say, I'm not a savant, but maybe in the orthodontic world, that's how I feel about social media. People say, you're such an expert. It's like, well... Among orthodontists, perhaps, you know, uh, but perhaps, um, but I guess before we get into some specific questions, uh, did you ever consider going into finances? Was that something you, you thought you would do? Or is it just an interest you discovered along the way? Uh, I would say uh, I never considered it as a full time uh, profession. I've always had a lot of interest in it. Um, you know, finance is something that has a lot of moving parts. And I'm always interested in things and, and taking things apart and figuring out how they work. So um, you know, I, 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 did, I did have a business minor in college and I would mm. say that, uh, for me, I, um, I wanted to be financially successful in my life. And I realized that I would not only need an income to do that, that would kind of propel me along those lines because I certainly wasn't going to inherit any capital. So I needed to start with an income 
And then, and then how to manage that seemed to be important as well. So I would say for people, you know, if, if it's not something you love, uh, that's okay. Uh, you don't have to do it. Um, if it's something you can tolerate doing, though, it's an extraordinarily, I think this is uh, Dr. Dolly's uh, comment here, it's an extraordinarily well-paid hobby. Uh, in other words, learning about your finances uh, and, and getting that to be a little bit of a side interest for you uh, can pay some pretty big dividends. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's also... A lot of us trust financial planners. I do because I, I don't have it as a hobby. I'm not an expert at it. I have read the White Coat Investor and it went over my head That's good. a little bit. Um, but uh, and I've and I've taken uh, what's his name? Who's the who's the guy from Tennessee? Um, the financial guy. Oh Ramsey. my goodness, Ramsey. Yeah, I've taken Dave Ramsey's yeah. course, and it's just it's just not like connected with me. So, but my first yeah. financial planner was actually um, arrested on like nine uh, fraud counts. Oh, so, um, so my second one is a family friend, and I feel comfortable with him, but. You know, a lot of us are entrusting people that maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we should do this yeah. on our own. And it's one of those things. Maybe we should not uh, delegate this out. But uh, anyway, so if anyone's out there that's starting in this or that's never just really like kind of me, it's never really dove, in, uh, dove into it, um, what would be your first recommendation or two when it comes to personal financial management? Okay. Big so question. Low, yeah. No, no, this is good. Low-hanging low fruit here. Um, you know, first off, I would say that when it comes to this, the most important part, and certainly I think most of the audience here is probably, uh, you know, younger orthodontists in their 30s, 40s is probably most of them. Um, you know, the, the most important thing is not what you're invested in. So that's what all the attention gets focused on, right? Is, is like what stocks and bonds to buy and how to set up your portfolio. That's probably like the least important thing for you, especially in the, for the first two thirds of your career. Hmm. Um, the most important thing is understanding your personal cash flow. Uh, so, you know, you, you, you go to work, you have this income that comes in, and then how you manage that and, and how you kind of allocate that money becomes super important. So, you know, the first thing I would say is don't take your big, fat, orthodontist paycheck and just put it in your family's checking account and hope that then you do the right thing with it afterwards. I think that's, that's, that's one thing. You know, figure out what your budget is for your family, uh, you know, everyone hates to do that. Uh, but, but even if you just do it retrospectively, try to get a sense of what you think you might spend by looking at what you have spent and then put that in your checking. And then, uh, you know, I, I, my direct deposit goes to like five different accounts, the investment account, one goes to a savings. If you want debt reduction, if you're paying student loans, you know, kind of figure out where you want your money to go and give it, give it all some jobs. Um, you know, yeah, like you might cheat a little bit, like you might decide that you just have to, you know, go on this vacation, you don't have it. So you steal it from one of the other accounts occasionally, but at least you're aware of it. Right. So, you know, I think that's like, that's like a, a very basic thing. And it, and it kind of points to the need to have a little bit of a plan to understand what you want in terms of financial goals. Like, do you want to pay your student loans off in five years? Is that a goal that you have? Do you, you know, do you want to buy a house? And, and, and not just want these things, but, you know, just like when you applied to orthodontic residency and you said, OK, I'm going to go to an orthodontic residency program. Well, I better go do some research with some random, you know, periodontist professor because I got to do some sort of research. So I'm going to get it. You, you, you put together a plan, right? You figure out, like, what are the steps that I need to get to those goals? And, and you do it in your practice. And it's the same thing in your personal finance. So, you know, figuring out what your plan is, writing down some kind of goals or some goal posts for what you're going to hit, and then evaluating uh, periodically. I do it quarterly uh, to try to figure out when you're going to be able to, to, to get to these goals. And, and if you're on track, are you making the right progress towards your goals? Yeah, for sure. Um, any, any pro tips, maybe for people that are on a different level, that are already through all those basic things, they've already got it all set up, anything maybe in the last year or two that you've done that you're really keen on? 
Now that is a good question. Um, you know, I would say, I would say the, the nowadays, the kind of foundation of my personal, I've talked about this on the podcast, the foundation of my personal uh, financial management is the quarterly review. And so my wife and I, we sit down every quarter and we evaluate, you know, our income, our spending. We look at our goal sheet. We try to track where our goals are. And then we have, this is, this is, this is getting pretty, you asked for pro tips, right? So this yeah. is getting kind of nerdy. What we've done is I, I've written out basically all of the tasks that you might want to do in terms of personal finance, insurance, debt reduction, college savings, retirement savings, uh, you know, practice and personal interactions, taxes, all of these things. And instead of trying to take tackle them all at once, uh, we do them a couple of them each quarter. So, you know, in, in the spring, we might look at taxes in the summer. We might look at insurance in the fall. We might look at college savings. And Great. so we're not totally overwhelmed or bombarded. Uh, we kind of divide those things up and, and, and we sit down. This, this takes us an hour ish, maybe two, if we've, we get into a, a, an actual meaningful, deep financial conversation with your spouse about what your goals are. And, uh, you know, you might, you might find that it, it turned into a, a productive, non-confrontational financial discussion. Um, so that I think is really the backbone, uh, of, of how we kind of do our personal finances. Yeah, it's great. It's, I'm glad I asked. That's, that's a, a great way to approach it, I think. So, um, so Faraz Najib, I probably said that incorrectly. I hope I got that right. He asked this question, would you pay all of your student loan or pay your house first? I think I know what your answer is going to be, but go ahead. <laughs> um, so, so that's, a, that's a variation on, I think, uh, a, a common question. You know, most, most people with this excess income are trying to figure out where to put it. The most common question I'll, I'll answer first, which is, um, do I pay off student loans and invest or invest my money? That's, that's the most common question. And I would say the answer is both. For me personally, if it was between a student loan and a home mortgage, I would pay off my student loan first. Uh, you know, the only collateral on my student loan is like my own. I felt it was like a, like a mortgage on my brain. Uh, so I wanted to be free of it. And, and mortgages are funny too, in the sense that if you move, you know, you might end up buying a different house. And then, you know, what was really the, hugest exciting thing about paying off the first mortgage. So I would prioritize student loans, um, you know, obviously interest rate dependent, uh, you know, if, if, if you're in one of these weird situations where you, you locked in 1.01% for the next, you know, 4,700 years, um, you know, maybe let it ride. Yeah, for sure. Good. I, I got Faraz's name correct. So now I'm, I'm on cloud nine. Uh, let's shift into this. Let's shift into credit card rewards. Um, and I know this is not like your defining characteristic <laughs> as a financial person, but I know you're really into it. I know you've got a spreadsheet. I want to talk about it. Um, yeah. I think, you know, in fairness, credit cards, especially among financial gurus are a little controversial. Dave Ramsey, whose name's his name escaped me earlier. Again, not a financial guy here. Um, but he tells his followers, you know, to cut their credit cards up and things like that. Um, I don't think orthodontists fall under the same category as the average Dave Ramsey listener. And I, so I think, you got to keep that in context. But um, and so I think it's OK for us to have credit cards. I have a few credit cards, but I know you have maybe more than that. Um, so so what is it with credit cards? Where are you at with all that right now? Good question. I um, I do think that you spend more money on a credit card. I do. I, 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 I like to think that I don't. But every time that I like tr pretend like that, I'm like an above average driver or you know, whatever it is, I, 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 I try to like check myself, you know, and be like, no, I'm probably in that group that the, the research study described. So you probably do spend incrementally more. Uh, certainly, if you are not paying off your credit cards in full at the end of the month, you have no business using credit cards. I mean, that's, that's, that's the obvious thing about it. Yeah. Um, 
so I agree with that. And, and if that's a problem, then just, just eliminate from your life because it's not worth it. Um, you know, with credit cards, I, I think of them, uh, there's a, did you, did you go to the Ben Folds concert? Did you tell me you saw Ben Folds? I did. Yeah. I went to yeah. The, and I used a credit card. No, I'm just kidding. What, okay. What is it? What is it? <laughs> so, so Ben Folds has a song called uh, free coffee. It's one of his not well-known songs, free coffee. And the, and the chorus says, when I was broke, I needed it more. Now that I'm rich, they give me free coffee. <laughs> and, um, and that's really what, you know, like, this isn't going to change your life. This isn't going to like, you know, make you, you're, you're an orthodox, you've got a great income. Uh, but certainly you can, you know, earn some, some extra points there. So I would say in the past, you know, I've, I've flown in business class to Tokyo and stayed at the Hyatt, whatever, where they filmed Lost in Translation, all on points. And we've gone to Italy and, 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 and we've done all sorts of cool. great things with, with, the, with the points that we, you know, probably wouldn't have done otherwise. That being said, I do think, and, and at one point I had like 25 credit cards in a spreadsheet. I think the game is winding down, unfortunately, folks. So um, I have gone away from a lot. I find that earning points is one part of the process um, and redeeming is another. So uh, if you haven't signed up for all these cards, you can do it and you can, you can probably get five or $10,000 worth of value just off the sign up bonuses in the next couple of years by doing it, which is fun, uh, maybe $20,000. Um, if you can redeem them properly and that, that becomes a little bit of a, it's getting more and more difficult to do properly. So I have to admit, I am moving away from some of the, uh, points and miles and I'm going, uh, more and more to the cash back. So I'm with yeah. most of my spending now is on a bank of America. Um, it's like a preferred rewards thing. If you have yeah. enough money with them, you get 2.6. Two five percent. So you know, two is the standard, right? And you, you get two all day long everywhere. Uh, I can get two point six two with these guys. Um, and you'll, so, you'll be you know, re- you'll be retiring three and a half weeks earlier now because uh, I think four and a half, four and a half okay, actually. Well, yeah, 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 you're 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 big on that. You're bullish on it or whatever, bearish. I don't know. See you again, finances. Yep. Um, yep. Well, thanks thanks for indulging the question. Um, it sounds like you're not as excited as you once were, um, but I guess that's the way of things. Once too many people find out about things. Too many blogs are made. It's it's over, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, well, let's shift into this investments in terms of practice. Um, you talked about this in the pre-interview. You said that uh, it's two investments that help with the building the practice of your dreams: uh, investing in systems and investing in in people. Uh, let's talk about investing in systems first. I, I guess what are some of the systems that you use each day that are essential to your success? Did I, did I use the phrase practice of your dreams? I don't know if you did or not. That doesn't okay. sound like you. Yeah, that no, that's great. Like you. Maybe, maybe so, I just made that up. Yeah, go ahead. So I would say that um, this, is a really, uh, this is really a reflection of the path that I have kind of gone down in our practice. Um, we have always had very good people in our practice. Even when I bought the practice, uh, I inherited a, a good team. And um, so, you know, we, 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 we've always had a core group of people that have been good. But when I, when I did buy the practice, I noticed that there were a lot of things that could have been done a lot more efficiently. Um, the way that we started patients, when I bought the practice, it was a traditional kind of three-step screening, records, consult, SEPs, start. You know, they had to come to our office five times to get their braces on. Um, you know, that clearly was an inefficient system. Um, you know, the way that we did our financial arranging, I think, was a little bit inflexible. Uh, the way that we did our scheduling, uh, we had these kind of open templates where the, the front desk could put the patients wherever they wanted, and it would create some days that worked and some days that didn't. Um, you know, timing our procedures, um, there's a limit to how 
granular you can get with that. But uh, having, you know, I, I always say, you know, like with doctor time scheduling, um, you know, it's like, do you believe in it or not? And it's like, well, I don't believe that it ever works perfectly. But I would much rather start with something that at least in theory has a chance of working than just starting with like nothing and just like letting chaos reign. So, you know, starting with a little bit of, a, you know, a, a grid that makes sense. Um, so, you know, we spent a lot of time kind of going system by system in our practice and trying to understand what were the, you know, the weaknesses or what were the parts where people were getting tripped up and, and really reworking all of those and then writing them down, uh, creating procedure manuals for financial, for the front desk, for the clinic, uh, streamlining, you know, the, the ways that our assistants did things, you know, we, we would have assistants and, uh, who some of them would do it this way and some of them would do it that way. And they would say, oh, no, I don't do it this way. You know, that's how so-and-so does. And I was like, why are, we, why are we doing different ways? It's so hard to troubleshoot when we have a problem. Um, so, so standardizing and, and, and making systems, that was kind of the first, I think, focus in our practice was really getting those systems under control. And it really started to pay big dividends when people understood what their job was and they understood how to do it. And we, we would ask them, you know, what about your job is frustrating or, or, when, or what is it that patients hate every single time? Is there a way we can change that? Um, so, you know, looking at all of those workflows and systems and it, and it's a huge pain and it can be a, a tremendous, um, uh, it's, it's, it's like a puzzle that you have to unravel sometimes because when you yep. change one system in your practice, you know, you think, Oh, I'm just going to change this procedure and the way that it works. Well, then the front desk says, well, now how do we schedule this? And the financial person has an opinion because they, they used to see the parents at that point. Now you want to change it. So, you know, you make a small change and it like breaks five other things. So you have to kind of understand how everything fits together. But, but investing in systems for us has been huge. Yeah. So how do you make sure that these systems actually happen consistently? That's another thing is that a lot of us may go to meetings and may hear this and be like, yeah, I got to do that differently. Or I, the way we're doing this is broken. You bring it up. It maybe happens or maybe it doesn't even happen. And then it's not happening for sure in a month or two. Is this a, is a product of monthly meetings, of morning huddles? Uh, how do you keep people accountable on, uh, on those sorts of things? So the best solutions in your practice are going to be, um, I mean, I don't know. I, th th you, can, you can argue this from both sides. But I would say that, uh, in general, the, the, the real solutions, the ones that are going to be long-lasting, are, are going to be ones that are readily evident to everyone why they want to do this. In other words, if you come back from a meeting and you just have a great idea, you just throw it at your staff and they don't understand the why behind it, they, don't, they weren't part of the process, it's not going to happen. Your implementation is going to be atrocious. Um, and I agree that implementation is where, where the money is. I mean, where, you know, that's where all the value is, right? I mean, and, uh, you know, ideas I, I had on my um, mirror in my house for like two years is quote, it was like ideas are a dime a dozen implementation is everything. And I would look at that every single morning. Um, but that, I think the implementation isn't so much like hounding people. It's like getting with them and trying to talk about what the problems are and getting their input. And, and you have to kind of collectively come to a solution. Like if you have an answer to a problem, but your staff don't want to do it because they don't see that it benefits them, it's probably not the right solution. You know, the things that we've done, you know, when I have, I have of my six assistants, I only have one that's, that was with me when I bought the practice. Um, and, you know, she talks about, oh, do you remember when we used to do it this way? How horrible was that? 
Um, and, and I think we did it okay back then, but uh, she's like, you know, now it's so much easier. We do it this and it's, and it's streamlined and it's easy and, and, and it's um, patients like it. So you have to really, I think, get involved and, 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 and make sure that it's, it's an idea that works and that, um, and if it doesn't, then, then it's okay. Like I've, I've gone back to the practice and said, we're going to try this. And, and then we don't do that. Like we don't do yeah. that anymore. We failed, uh, or yeah. it was a bad idea or, you know, that, that's okay. Uh, I would say that, uh, being afraid to implement is, is worth worse than trying and failing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Cole does a good job of uh, summarizing when he brings up a new idea. He'll talk about, I can't remember his exact, uh, you know, acronym that he's got for it, but basically brings it up to his team. He, he sort of opens it up for discussion. He talks about how others have tried it and it's worked. And he said, you know what, we'll re reevaluate in three months. If it's not a good thing, we'll get rid of it. And I think that's a, a generally good way of thinking about it is, is that when we bring these things up, uh, he also mentions this, which I think is smart. When you go to your your oldest uh, team members, you go to them first. You try and get them bought into yeah. it before you bring it to the rest of the team. It's a very, Absolutely. very brilliant way of thinking through it. And so we've adapted that and it makes a lot of difference. I think if you can get the buy-in and you can also get ownership at the same time where they feel like they've helped to generate these ideas. So I can come to the meeting and say, you know what? I've met with uh, you know Jennifer on this and I've met with uh, Nicole and, and Trisha and they, they all feel really good about this. They think it's gonna work. You know, it may not be perfect. We're gonna, we're gonna do it for a few months and we'll, we'll check back and see. It just makes things a lot easier of a pill to swallow. Um, Absolutely. So, anyway, nothing like that. hardly ever works when you just bring it down from above and uh, no. very draconian. So no, um, I think if, if if you're real with your staff, if you are open and 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 don't come across as like a know-it-all, um, and just say, look, you know, and 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 point to your past failures, which you know we all have plenty of, and and own them, uh, and and. I think that then your staff will respond to that. They'll understand that, that you're trying, that you're not trying to make their life miserable. Uh, and, you know, I, th I think that works out a lot better. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about investments in people. I, I often say that, I don't know if there's like the most important thing you can do in an office, but I, I do think it's certainly the people that you hire and the team that you um, put together. And, and really the culture of your office uh, is really, I think, number one. We talk about a lot of other little minor things. We talked about Combeam earlier. Like Combeam to me at best would be, uh, number 73 on my list, although I've heard salespeople say, hey, it's number one, it's the most <laughs> important thing. But to me, it's, it's, it's culture, it's the people on your team. But uh, I, I guess, what are some of your short-term and long-term goals as it pertains to investments in people? And I guess in people, it doesn't mean just team members, but just people in general. I mean, how, how do you see that? Yeah, so I mean, this has kind of been a little bit something that I've tried to pivot towards uh, more and more. I think when I when I bought the practice, like I say, we, we were focused uh, on making sure that our systems got up to date and that that was good. Certainly, we've always had a focus on our patients. I feel like, you know, we've, I've always kind of been oriented towards patients and their parents. Um, but I feel like in the last year or two, I've really tried to engage a little bit more with our team members. Uh, they might disagree with me. <laughs> um, but I've tried to, you know, try to understand a little bit more what they need, uh, try to, I guess, uh, reward them a little bit more um, financially and, and non-financially. Uh, and, and really, as, as, as our practices become more successful, uh, just kind of reinvest our time and energy into the, into the people. It, we've, 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 we've done more training. Uh, we've done a tremendous amount of in-office training for clinical. Uh, you know, it, it, training is expensive. When you, when you take an hour and you stop seeing patients, uh, 
and you pay everyone to sit around in a circle and you know you 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 like try as hard as you can not to like have like the dollars ticking off in your head every minute that goes by as you like add up everyone's per hour salary that's looking at you uh it's expensive uh, but for us, it's been really well worth it. And uh, on the on the clinical side in particular, uh, really training our assistants, I have to give Jeff Kozlowski a lot of credit for this, uh, really training our assistants to uh, understand how orthodontics works, to understand why we are doing things, when they understand and, and to understand what they're doing. So my orthodontic assistants now are awesome and they are smart and they are engaged in the process. The worst thing you can do is have assistants that where you come over, they've untied the patient, um, they tell you the brushing grade, and then they look at you and ask you what you, the godlike doctor, are going to proclaim is the next treatment step for this patient. Like that is the worst way to run your clinic. Yeah. You know, you need to have assistants that understand, you know, okay, Dr. Miller, you know, we're over here, that lower wire, I, I still have a rotation on number 20, I can't get out, I'm gonna go ahead and steel tie that tooth, the upper's ready to go up to a rectangular night tie, 1425, next visit, we're gonna take an x-ray in seven weeks, um, and, and uh, what, what do you think? Yeah. And, yeah. and and it's awesome, nine times out of 10, they're totally right, uh, and, and they like their job more, they're more engaged, they're explaining things to patients about what the next step is. Uh, the, you know, the, the procedure is half done by the time you get over to the chair. And uh, then you have time to, to visit with the patient, to talk with the parent. And uh, it's, 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 it's effective. It's efficient. Everyone enjoys it more. And, and you have another set of eyes looking at what you're doing. So when, you're, uh, when I'm looking at, I'm finishing, uh, you know, my, the rule for my assistants is if we're in 1925 uh, TMAs, which is our finishing wire, uh, when I come to the chair... Either you're going to tell me what teeth need to be adjusted and how, or you're going to tell me that they're ready to get their braces off. So those are the only two options if they're in a 1925 NITAC. Yeah. So, and, and, and so they look at it, they're like, oh, this tooth needs to come out a little bit, or this needs to come down a little bit. And then I look at it, and I say, oh, yeah, I see that. What do you, what do you think about this tooth here? And now I've got two sets of eyes. Um, and the other thing I tell them is, if this was your child, if this was your son, would they be ready to get the braces off? Uh, or would you be like scrutinizing it because your child, you want it to be perfect. Well, every child needs to be that way. So you need to get in there and really dissect that case. Because I know the, the orthodontic assistants, if it was their kid, they would find all the little things. So I want them to be in there looking at marginal ridges, looking at torque, looking at everything. Um, so when I talk about investing in people, it's really having surrounding yourself with people that have all the skills, have all the training, have all the education. I want high quality, educated people surrounding me, um, makes my life great. And, it, and, it, and we have, and we deliver better care. Yeah, that's That was fantastic. That's great. A couple of things I just picked up on actually. So, um, Kozlowski talks about training your assistants to be like you would residents, you know, if you're in yes. an audit program and. That's Do really op opened my mind a lot of that. But a couple of the things you just said, it, it was funny as we get to the finishing wires and they're just sort of like, here you go, doc, you know? But yeah, what, really, what is that? Yeah. Why do we do that? That's ridiculous. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. So it's like when I see it's final details, I'm like, ah, because I got to go over there and like figure it out. But yeah, I need, I need to improve on that. But what I have found though, is I've worked on some of this, you know, it's, it's a process is uh, yeah. oftentimes I come up and it's just like, they've already started it or they've already you know they've already got kind of an idea of what needs to happen and it's great like you said i mean it's 19 times out of 20 it's exactly what i would have done anyway um yeah so, so, I so love you, that. But you but you have to take a little bit of time so we, yeah. we we sit down we go through cases 
we we go we get, we kind of talk about the treatment sequence. You have to be somewhat disciplined as a doctor. So if you want really empowered assistance, you can't be these doctors that just like do it one day this way and one the next day the other way just because you want to. Like yeah, you have to system. you have to systemize yourself and you have to be disciplined because so that people can think alongside of you. Um, yeah. But it but it pays dividends uh, and and it's totally worth it. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Perfect. Uh, let's shift into the last section of questions. My favorite category on Jeopardy, other than when it's viable questions, because I always get those right. That's like the only time I feel smart on Jeopardy, if it's a uh, classic rock or Bible, but uh, it's potpourri. I like potpourri because you never know what it's going to be. Uh, so we have a few questions that really don't fit into categories. So let's just jump into them. Uh, you All mentioned right. this, this concept, lifestyle design and orthodontics. I don't know exactly what you mean by that. So uh, illuminate us, if you will. Whew. All right. Uh, it's, it's almost 11 Eastern. We're, we're going to get into to lifestyle design here. It's, this is good. Um, it's good. So we are in a fabulous profession, I think, as orthodontists. We, we know this. Um, but we, we really need to uh, think about what it is that we want out of our practices. And, and, and certainly, I think lifestyle design is a kind of a... a concept that is exercised by those who perhaps have the luxury to exercise it. So if you're $900,000 in student loan debt, I, I don't know that I would be focused on lifestyle design. I would be focused on income and debt repayment maximization. But eventually you get to a point in orthodontics, I think, where uh, your, your potential income uh, you know, it becomes pretty large and, you know, you have to start asking yourself these questions about, you know, the marginal utility of an extra dollar in, in your life and how much that's really going to benefit you. So, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I think that when I, when, when for me, I, I talked about this earlier, I don't want to figure out how to race to the finish line as quickly as I can, you know, working myself to death. Uh, and, and get out, you know, because I can't stand it anymore. I would far rather, and financially in the long term, this is going to be much better for you. Uh, I would far rather find something that works for me. And I talked about this, you know, finding a job that I love to come to work and, and, and to, and so that, that, that talks about the amount of work that you're doing, the number of patients that you're seeing a day. Uh, it, it means that the, the way that your, tr your staff is assembled and trained, you know, their job, you know, is, is, is ostensibly to make your life better and to make your job easier. Um, and I think that a lot of orthodontists and a lot of people in general, uh, they kind of fall into a, a certain way that they've done it. And then they don't ask themselves, what if we could do it this way? Uh, and I do think that I, and I have, um, maybe less inhibitions when it comes to questioning why we're doing something and being willing to do something differently. I remember I, I mentioned when we went to Japan, uh, you know, my, my kids were small. Uh, we didn't really have babysitters. We had moved here. I told my wife, I want to go to Japan without the kids for like nine days. And she was like, that's never going to happen. And I'm like, well, why not? And because well, of this, 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 this. And, you know, you work through it. You figure out the child care. You figure out the this. You know, you credit card points. Boom. You know, <laughs> you, but, but, but I, think, I think you can, you can if you want something, uh, you know, in, in your practice, in your lifestyle, I think you, you just need to figure out the, the, the steps that are there. And, and there's no reason why you can't do it. There's no reason why you have to, to wait for a lot of things. Um, and, and, I, and I, again, acknowledging that a lot of this is derived from the fact that we are in just such a, a, a privileged position. Yeah. Yeah. But, but recognizing that fact, why not make the most of it? Uh, and why not, you know, create a, 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 create a life that you don't want to retire from? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's this idea of beginning with the end in mind and 
the end should be the lifestyle. It should be, you know, what is it you're, you're trying to accomplish each day? And then you kind of work backwards from that instead of the reverse, which I think we sort of get on this, uh, this sort of current that orthodontics pushes us on. And it's all about starting more patients, starting more patients, yeah. adding another office. And I think another thing that's really going to be a strong current coming up is consolidation. And I think there will be a lot of pressure seemingly to join up with groups as they form or to consolidate with other specialists. And I think for many of us, probably we just stay on our own. Maybe we start a fewer number of patients every year, but maybe we're still really happy. So uh, I think yeah. that's gonna be really interesting to track over the next few years. Um, this year alone has, has had a, a, quite a few opportunities. And every time I've looked at it and I've sat with it and I've thought about it and prayed about it, I've been like, will that make me happier or feel more fulfilled? And the answer for me at least has been no. Um, so, uh, we're sort of resolved to do what we're going to do. I know you have your wife in your practice and I do too. And so we're, I think very, very fortunate in those ways. But, um, I think I would just implore anyone out there as things come along and there's this thought of the sky is falling, it's probably not. And, uh, I think it's important to stay committed to the lifestyle that you want to have. Um, and again, we're super blessed to be able to even have those conversations, but, uh, I love what I I love what I do. yeah, I do too. I mean, you know, the 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 bad part of orthodontics is is the debt. And, you know, that is that is the the scary part of orthodontics. And for people that have that debt, I have a lot of sympathy and empathy uh, for you. Um, you know, and so you need a concrete plan to tackle that. But I think if you can eliminate a lot of that debt from your life. Uh, and if you can, you know, live perhaps like, like, like an orthodontist and not like a, like a rock star, not like, you know, you go to some of the meetings and you're like, whoa, these guys are living. What if I'm I'm both Lance? What if I'm a rock star and an orthodontist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What if you are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if you if your if your income is derived from orthodontics, uh, perhaps uh, you know stick stick with that. But you know, so I I just think as long as your lifestyle is somewhat normal, uh, you know, figure out how to get your debt under control, and then you'll have a lot of options in orthodontics. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I think that's the thing I I sort of forget about. I mean, I'm still in debt. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I don't feel like I'm in the the pressure that I was in the first few years, but. If I talk to younger orthodontists, uh, doctors who are still associates, residents, that is really the primary focus. So you hear, you know, the two of us talking about lifestyle and, you know, how easy it is. And I don't want to start more patients. I want to enjoy, you know, that that may sound the wrong way. So I think you're right. I think there is a turn there, though, where you do need to be able to focus on that. Uh, Yeah. So it's it's, it's 10 o'clock my time, 11 o'clock your time. I do want to get through a couple more questions, maybe go into the 10 10 minutes or so, and then we'll wrap up. But uh, Lance West asked this question, uh, another Lance like yourself. I got to ask it. Uh, he wants help in convincing his wife that he needs a private pilot's license. Um, and he also asks about purchasing a plane. But I didn't hey, uh, know this. I did not know that you had a private pilot's license. So tell me about that real quick. Yeah. So so Lance uh, is is actually one of my very good friends. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know how many other Lances are out there in orthodontics, but it probably can count them on one hand. Yeah. Uh, so we're you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to have him as a, as a great friend. And, uh, you know, this, this is something I think that, that we both have an interest in. Um, I have taken a little bit the plunge and in the last couple of years uh, have uh, gone and gotten my uh, pilot's license. So if flying around in uh, small single engine airplanes uh, sounds fun to you, uh, 
it, I would do it. It's awesome. It's the, yeah. it's, it's, it's amazing. It, it requires uh, so many disciplines to be all joined together in one. Uh, there's a lot of studying. There's a lot of understanding weather and aircraft systems and communication and navigation, you know, uh, all of the uh, aerodynamics. And then, and then, the, and then there's all this tactile aspects of, of flying. So I, I've loved it. It's been a super fun thing. It's something I've always wanted to do. Um, uh, my, my dad was really into aviation, although never got a pilot's license. Uh, his line was that he always had the itch, but he never had the scratch. And um, so, you know, I've, I've kind of carried that boyhood dream and, and now I've been able to do it. I've, I'm, I'm working uh, on, on my instrument rating. I'm almost done with that. Um, so it's, it's, it's been fun. And to Lance, I would say, yes, we got, you know, go for it. And, uh, and I would say, I guess that applies to whatever else that you want to do. I, I hiked Mount Rainier in June. I went wow. to Uganda with my brother last October, uh, and to, to, you know, uh, thanks to Anil and, and Sheldon, um, and, 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 and did an amazing trip there. So, uh, my dad died when he was 53 years old, uh, from cancer. And, um, so, I, I kind of a little bit in the back of my head, not really, but I kind of a little bit in the back of my head think I'm going to die when I'm 53 years old. So th that in the sense that like, if there's something I want to do or you want to do, then go, go ahead and do it and, and figure out how to do it now and not to do it later. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Um, I was going to say, if you, if you want to be excited about flying a private plane, don't watch La Bamba like I did when I was <laughs> seven or eight. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm scared to death. This, of is, it, so. uh, this, is, this is Richie Valens and the Big yeah. Bopper. And the Big Bopper. Good call. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. So uh, anyway, moving on. A couple more questions. The day the music died, right? It is the day the music died. Yeah, you're exactly right. Maybe you're killing <laughs> it with the, uh, the music trivia. This is my, now we're talking my kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Um, so uh, you talked about overcoming resistance. Again, I don't, I don't know exactly what you mean about that, but I'm interested. <laughs> Um, well, no, I mean, I know, I know what resistance means, yeah. right? Um, I took, I gave, I gave you the most sparse notes. No, uh, this, this is perfect. Yeah. This is, you've done this a few times, so we didn't have to do yeah. quite, quite the uh, diligent of, uh, pre-interview stuff. So, uh, I guess what are some areas of your life and practice that resist you and, and how do you overcome them? And what do you mean by that with resistance? So I'm blanking a little bit. Is a Prescott is the name of the author that, that writes these books. Um, do the work is one. And then there's uh, one on, on resistant. I think it's Stephen, Stephen Prescott or Pre yeah, something Stephen along the Pressfield. 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 Thank you. I, need, I knew I didn't have that quite right. Pressfield. Um, go read these books by Stephen Pressfield on resistance. There were some of the most important books you could read. Um, Resistance is basically whatever force in your life is preventing you from accomplishing your true goals. And it sounds kind of hokey. Um, you know, you, you, there's perhaps even a religious connotation to this, although I don't really think that's uh, how I interpret it. Um, it's, 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 it's anything that's preventing you. So it could be an internal force. It could be a, it could be a person in your life. It could be anything that's holding you back from, from doing what you want. And, what I, the, the benefit of res, resistance and, 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 its, and its main weakness is that when you feel resistance, it is always pushing you away from that which is most important and most desirable for you to be doing in your life at that time. And by giving you that signal, it identifies where you need to be focusing your efforts. Hmm. Of course, it usually sucks to do it because it's like that. It's, it, it, it preys on your own self-doubt. It preys on your own, um, you know, ideas of, of what you're capable of or, or the things that, that really freak you out uh, or, or, or the way that you think you're going to be perceived by other people. 
But if, if, you, if you wake up in the morning and you know that there's something you should do and you really don't want to do it, um, that, that feeling, it, it's like, for, so I, you know, I've, I've really tried to work hard to train myself to, to run towards those things. And, and we see it in our practices. That's the most obvious example. When you have a patient situation that's kind of getting out of control uh, or, or starting to happen, right? Um, and, and you can tell that there's this mom and she's not having a good day and she's kind of yelling at your assistant and you're, you're kind of standing in, the, in like the door frame of your office and you're like deciding like, do I just like go back in my office and just like, <laughs> you know, drink the rest of my culotta or do I like walk out into the clinic, go straight up to that mom and say like, Hey, how, how's it going? Like, is there anything yeah. I can help with? Um, you, you know, like you, if, if you can train yourself and this is what I tell my team members, cause, cause team members have the same, uh, you know, predisposition that we do, that we have to run towards problems, right? Mm -hmm. We don't run away from problems. We run towards them and we mm -hmm. try to extinguish them as quickly as we can. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's another thing, you know, Neil Kravitz obviously is, is big on as well, but, uh, you know, the, the, so, so when you feel that resistance, when you feel something pushing you away, that is great. That it's, 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 a homing beacon. It's telling you, this is where you need to focus your efforts. This is, this is where you're going to get the most bang for your buck in terms of your time and energy. Yeah. Love that. I'm glad I asked it. You had some good, uh, these were some good ideas to talk about resistance. That's great. I have always felt this, uh, need to attack those sorts of things when they come up. I've never thought of it through that met that idea of resistance, but when I feel like something's not at peace or something's not at right, or someone's not happy with me, I, I attack it. Like I have to fix it. it. It's just the way my personality works. And so, yeah, which um, is why you're a successful person, but there are so many people that they try to kind of basically uh, uh, sneak away from all the problems until they become crises. Right. Um, and, and, and even a bigger concern is not that things in your life are going bad and, and are going to get worse, but it's, what are the things that you could accomplish? What are the things that you're not allowing yourself to pursue that, that, uh, you know, that are never going to turn into a crisis in your life, but they're going to just be a huge missed opportunity. Um, and, and you're yeah. going to look back on your life and say, you know, what, like when I went to Uganda, my assistants were like, you're crazy. Aren't you afraid you're going to get kidnapped or like malaria or, um, wh wh whatever. And I, and, you know, and, and my answer was, I'm, I'm much more afraid of getting to the end of my life and realizing I haven't done all the things I want to do than I am of crashing in a small, uh, SR 22, uh, you know, that, that Lance West wants to buy. Fair enough. I guess that was a little bit of a jab at me. I guess I need to, I need to push against that resistance. I need to forget La Bamba and just uh, embrace the uh, airplane. So Anna, uh, we're going to get, I'm going to get pilots uh, lessons and, and thank you, Lance, for inspiring me. Um, yes. But uh, no, that's great. I think that's, that's a huge mindset idea. It's also storming here. So if my power goes off, I do have a lantern um, oh, just, just in go. case. So uh, here's my last official question. Then we've got our uh, TDO top five, but, um, I want to finish on this discussion on consultants. Uh, I know I have a lot of, I allow consultants in this group. I have a lot of really good relationships with consultants. I think they're important to our profession. Um, but I think the last few years have probably been interesting for consultants. You've probably commented on this. I've seen discussions on it. But before Facebook groups, there's really no like outlet for this sort of in-mass learning that we all benefit from yeah. now. And that's been maybe five years now that we've, we've had this. Um, and I would assume that this has changed the game for consultants. Um, at the same time, when I look at highly successful orthodontists, they always have a consultant or two and they always go to these meetings. So I don't know that it's really changed anything. Um, so I guess the first question is, has the paradigm shifted at all away from consultants? And if it has, what's the role of a consultant today? 
So the, I don't know that the paradigm has shifted in, in, in theory, right? In theory, the, the, the consultant's role was always to come in and deliver a lot of value. In, uh, in practice, perhaps in the past, that wasn't always the case because they could just kind of recycle ideas from practices. Now, now that is, doesn't exist anymore. So that's a great thing for consultants. Uh, consultants have to, you know, really understand that this, this low hanging fruit stuff, uh, you know, come in with you know, a couple of novel ideas and razzle dazzle. And that doesn't exist anymore because you can get that all in Facebook groups. Uh, so really, I think consultants now, uh, the ones that are really worthwhile um, are, 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 you know, going to shine even more. Uh, so so that's, that's great for consultants. I would say that if you uh, are thinking about using a consultant in your practice, there's really two, um, two functions, I think, that a consultant has. The first is diagnosis. And honestly, I would be a little bit suspect of uh, using a consultant to diagnose a problem in your practice. Uh, if you have like an intricate financial problem, um, you, you perhaps, you know, uh, a consultant is worth uh, doing some diagnosis. If you... Um, have a have a vague sense that that clinically maybe you know th there, there are some things that may, you know like sterilization like if you don't, if you're like i don't even want to think about sterilization i know it needs updating i'm just going to bring someone in and they can do all the thinking yeah, but i would say the big yeah. yeah yeah sure you don't want to think about that that's fine but i would say that most problems in your practice new patient like a lot of this stuff like you you should understand what the problem is in your practice like you should figure out what you know what it is and if and if you don't really understand the problem i don't know that i would be hiring a consultant i would be scared to hire a consultant um and 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 i'm a little bit i'm a, i'm a little bit scared of of these big full service consultants that come in and they're going to fix every problem in your practice i you know i i think you have to really understand what is the problem and what it is you're trying to achieve then once you kind of figure that out i think a consultant can be incredible and they can really turbocharge it. they can come in and they can really streamline that implementation process uh, so if the second role of a consultant is implementation, and that's where I've had great success with consultants. We've had consultants come in uh, a lot on scheduling. We've had consultants work with our front desk. We've had consultants work with our uh, sterilization, uh, treatment coordinating. Uh, and, and we just hired a consultant to do some, uh, just a review of our, of our, uh, some financial stuff. So, uh, and, and, and I would say that uh, bringing someone in like that can kind of turbocharge things and, and uh, help your team with accountability and, and some of the stuff we talked about earlier, um, you know, but, but uh, you know, I, like I said, I think you have to understand what it is that you want out of them. Sure. Yeah. Great, great thoughts. Great thoughts. So shout out to all the consultants out there. Thanks for helping us. Yeah. Uh, let's yeah. shift into this. This has been great. Obviously, I, I expected to learn a lot and I have. So thank you for taking the time to do this, for going up to your office. Uh, to do yeah. this for us. Um, and uh, we'll do these uh, kind of lightning round of sorts. You do the same yes. thing. So let, let's, yes. let's, let's, you know, that I may have been inspired by you to do this. So, you know, this is going to be weird for you to do this, but um, uh, let's, let's, let's jump into the first one. If, if you weren't an orthodontist, uh, what would you be? Astronaut. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, uh, yeah. No, that, that is like, I'm not in the habit of like quoting, what is it? Axe body spray, but nothing beats an astronaut. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I love, like, it has to go with like the pilot license and things like, like that, that the whole concept is, is just so fascinating to me. And it's, it's, it's like the, it's like the pinnacle of, of achievement and yeah. adventure and excitement. It's, it's yeah. awesome. That's a, that's a cool I, I, they would, I would never, be, I would never make it. I, I, I wouldn't make it, but, but I would, I, I would aspire to it. You, you might, you might, I'd be scared to death. See, so you've got, a, you've got less resistance than I do, or maybe you've just leaned into your resistance. Um, also, our first Axe Body Spray shout out on this uh, show. <laughs> yes, so, yes. And, and maybe our last, who knows. Um, so I uh, love it. Hopefully and, not. 
Yeah, hopefully not. In two to three words, uh, what is your favorite thing about being an orthodontist? Um, connecting with other people. I think that's more than three words, but connecting yeah. with other people, uh, colleagues, patients, um, that's the best part. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. So what's the one thing you wish you had known sooner as a resident or as a young orthodontist? I think we talked about this a little bit earlier. I mean, I, I would say that we have a, we have a great profession, um, you know, work hard. Uh, I think, uh, that, that success is out there for you in, in orthodontics. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's a bright future for our profession. Yeah, I think that's a, maybe one thing to communicate along those lines is that things are not as bad as they might seem, you know, so I, I wonder what it would have been no. like as a resident to have this greater connection to all these uh, different orthodontists. And, and I worry that I might have been a little bit more negative or sort of down on the profession. I'm not saying that's all the community, you know, that's communicated, but it happens. Um, um, You're right. I, I, you there. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, there, there are people out there kind of losing their minds. The sky is falling. But, you know, I, I you know, I think there's. Uh, a ton of orthodontists out there that are successful and happy in their lives, and probably most of them are not on Facebook. Uh, well, that might be true. Um, another jab at me. I'm always on Facebook. Man, I thought I was doing okay. Just kidding. Uh, so uh, wh who's your biggest influence uh, and why? Uh, you know, my parents, is, you know, and my dad was a, um, uh, he was a physics PhD. I worked in the chemistry department at the University of North Carolina. Brilliant guy. You could ask him any question about anything, and he knew how everything worked. Um, really a big inspiration for me and just a, a great mentor. Uh, and then my wife, uh, Becca, you know, we've been, I got married when I was 21 years old. If my kids do that, I'll be very upset. Um, <laughs> we've married 17 years. So she's been there through everything. And, uh, it's just, just, uh, I don't know how I could do anything without her. Yeah. She, yeah. She's fantastic. I was married at 22 for what it's worth. Like, a month, right. a, a month older than 22. And it was one day after 22. So it was the day after her birthday. But anyway, I, I was almost um, 22. I was like, Two weeks from being 22. Uh, we're pretty similar. We also, apparently, we look like a boy men. So, uh, yes. I mean, yes. I, 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 not, I, I, is that something that's bothered you to be told that you look like a kid for every day of your career? I mean, I get it well, every day. Well, I, I'm getting slightly less, but I will say, and I think I posted this on the post the, after, after Cliff called us out, but, you know, when I was 30, I think it bothered me a lot. And I, even though I pretended that it didn't, uh, you know, but I turned 40 in June and I'm like, bring it like, yeah, sure. Yeah. At this point, yeah. you know, why not? So, yeah. Sure. Yeah. I remember getting really upset in the first couple of weeks and even kind of like, uh, you know, talking back to people about it and it did not go over well. I was like, you know what, why would I, why would I be mad about it? Who cares? So, yeah. uh, and then lastly, what do you want to be remembered by Lance? Um, <laughs> so I don't, I don't, I don't really believe in being remembered. You know, I, I don't, I don't remember my great grandparents. I think in, 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 a, in a fraction of a, of a, of a, of a, of a, just a blink of an eye, you know, we kind of are washed away on the sands of time. So, um, you know, I, 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 I don't, I try not to think about creating a legacy. Uh, you know, that's to me, to me, it's a little bit, I think of, uh, um, of an arrogant thought, you know, not no offense to the, to the question as it was asked, but, um, you know, my focus is on, you know, doing the best that I can for the right reasons. And it's not because I'm going to be remembered in any certain way. It's just because, you know, I think there's some value in doing the right thing for the right reasons. Um, and then also just, you know, maximizing the time that I have with my, with my friends, with my family. Um, you know, I, I think, I think, I think for, you know, most of us, uh, we're not going to be remembered. Uh, history doesn't remember many people and, uh, that's okay. Uh, you know, just, just live your best life and, and, and your life is for you. And, 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 and that's, for me, that's enough. Yeah. It's a great answer. Um, 
probably the most uh, cynical answer I've received uh, on that <laughs> question. But uh, no, it's a good one. I, I do think there is actually uh, this sort of um, oh, exaggeration is the wrong word, but with legacy, this sort of uh, we exalt right. it to this level that's uh, that it's, it's held as kind of like the highest um, purpose that one could have. And yeah. I, I think that really misses the point. I think it actually is, is perfect for a, a people group that's so egotistical and prideful that we'd be so concerned with how we'll be remembered. But I think there's some value, though, practically in establishing, well, what I want to be talked about at, at my funeral in the sense of I do want to lead a sure. life that's not given into resistance and that's, you know, that's done these things, accomplished these things. At the same Absolutely. time, you know, 10 years in, for you know, who's going to actually remember me? Uh, probably not that many people. And, and that's OK. Yeah. Um, that's so okay. it's a good answer. I like it. Lance Miller, I'm going to clap it up for you. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of applause. That's amazing. That is. Um, that I, is. I do want to thank you for coming on the show. It means a lot to me. Uh, go see Lance. Lance is going to be speaking at the AAO 2020 in Atlanta. They've put actually me and you, they put the two boy men on the that's stage right. together. Boys that's to men, right. I guess. Um, Lance, thank you for doing this. I really do appreciate it. Um, yes, from it's all been a pleasure. Us, all of us here at the Digital Earth Anonymous Live, I'm Dr. Kyle Fagala signing off and we'll play the theme song. <laughs>